The Word of God says in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And uh, she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now I've heard preachers go on and on and on about how God was mad at Cain for being a gardener. Now, I just don't see that in the Word of God, because if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 23, it says that he sent Adam out of the garden to till the ground. So I just don't see that. I see something else in these verses that I'm going to show you here with God's help in just a moment. Verse 3, Genesis 4, 3. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very angry, and his face showed it. Okay. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you so mad? Why are you mad, bro? And why, why, why you, uh, is your countenance fallen? If you do well, don't you know you're going to be accepted? But if, uh, if you don't do well, sin is lying at the door. We need to recognize that our pathway is leading either to righteousness or to iniquity. Iniquity is the pathway to sin. Getting on the rat wrong pathway, even if you're not actively involved in some sin, still displeases God. And it's going the wrong way doesn't please God because he knows that it ends in destruction. God's not mad at us. Listen, the Bible says this is like the waters of Noah unto me. As I have sworn that the waters of Noah should never cover the earth again, so have I sworn that I would never be angry at you. Does anybody think we're going to get another Noah's flood? Nobody believes that, do you? Because you, every time you see that rainbow, you know that God made a covenant with mankind. There's never going to be another uh, deluge of that magnitude. The universe, however, will be renovated by fire at the end of the, at the, end of the uh, millennium. And you and I are going to be dancing around a bonfire and join, join the, the show, right? You've got to be on the right side of this thing, man. It's going to be a bummer, right? <laughs> Verse 8, please. And Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where's, where's your brother? He says, I don't know. It's not my job. And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries unto me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the earth. Now, people have gotten confused that God put a curse on Cain. God did not put a curse on Cain. The voice of the, his, his brother's blood spoke from the earth. Which has opened her mouth to receive your brother, brother's blood from your hand. And when you till the ground, it's going to be a bummer, man. It's not going to work for you. Now, what was the root of this whole thing? Go all the way back to verse 3. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering to the Lord. What was the quality of his offering? The Bible doesn't say anything about it. It was a nondescript offering. Again, again, you know, I didn't come here today to talk about this, but I'm just going to say this to you gently and lovingly as I'm, as I'm able. If you feel pressured to give money to any church, this or any other church, I'd keep it if I was you. I'd just keep it. <laughs> Amen. I don't respond to guilt. I certainly would not ask you to respond to guilt or pressure of any kind. Right? So if you feel like, well, it's offering time, i got to participate, just don't, don't. It, it's, not, it's not doing you any good. So Cain's offering was a nondescript offering, wasn't it? 
Look at verse 4. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. So there's a description of Abel's offering. He, he kind of agonized over it. He went through the flock and picked the very best sheep he had. Fluffy, you might call it, right? Oh, she's a good-looking sheep. She was on the cover of Sheep Weekly. Perfect specimen. <laughs> he went through the flock, and God only knows how many he had. But he found the very best, and he gave the best part. He didn't just give, give the hooves and the horns. It says he gave the fat, and everybody knows that's the most delicious part, right? Right? If you're doing a ribeye steak after church today. No, we're having lunch here at church, right? Anybody getting hungry? And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Keep going. But unto Cain and to his offering, he did not have respect. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Why does Cain know that God doesn't respect his offering? You know, this is a different church. I ask questions, you know. I mean, it's okay to, it's okay to answer. There's no wrong answers. I'm not going to correct you. But I, I realize my style may be a little different where I actually in, involve you sometimes and ask questions. I, I realize that's kind of different. But why would Cain be so mad? Why, he must know. He must see something that shows him that God is not receiving his offering. God does not receive every offering. You know, I, I've sent some back. I'm not sending yours back today. But <laughs> I've sent some, some offerings back. There was a guy who, uh, I'm not going to give you all the details, but he was sending me money every week, you know, when I was on the radio. And he wanted to have lunch with me. We went and had lunch. And it just got really weird. He wanted to control me. He was just a really weird person. And then he started sending me these nasty emails and criticizing me and everything. And I'm like, dude, here's everything you sent me the last couple months. Take it back. Take it back. Uh, God does not receive every offering. But when he does, what happens to you? Your offerings, your tithes and offerings open the door for you to receive more blessing. Does anybody believe that? I can tell you from many, many years of experience that this works. This works in good times. It works in not so good times. I have tested these principles when I was starving. I used to say 75 pounds ago, got it down to about 50 now. <laughs> I tested these principles when I could not afford to buy food. It, when, when, when you give a willing offering, God accepts it. And when he does, things start changing in your life. I better get back on my subject. I want you to look with me at, um, praise the Lord, I'm not going to charge you no extra for that. You ever heard of uh, Goofus and Gallant? Yep. <laughs> you got that image there? Anybody, remember, anybody has no idea who Goofus and Gallant are? All right. The, when I used to go to the dentist's office... Uh, they had the Highlights magazine there, and we would look at the, you know, waiting wait my turn at the dentist's office. I'd go through the Highlights magazine for children and read about Goofus and Gallant. Goofus runs with scissors pointing up. Gallant works with scissors pointing, he, he, he walks with scissors pointing. You ever heard, don't run with scissors, right? This is where it came from. This is where that all came from. And if you look at them, they're really the same kid, just with different hairstyles. <laughs> but more than that, they have a different attitude. And God is interested in our attitudes. When we're talking about raising children, we need to focus on their attitudes. Did I forget to turn my thing on? Can you hear me in the back? Can you hear me in the back? Okay. Check, check. We have a propensity to focus on behavior. Don't do this. Don't do that. Right? 
And you got to do that sometimes. But more importantly, if we can deal with a child's attitudes, you'll raise godly children if you can focus on their attitudes more than on their behavior. I have so much to say today. I need y'all to pray for me and help, because amen. Just pray for me right now. Say, Father, help him to do this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Genesis chapter 27, verse 1. I've only got three hours left, right? Before they turn the lights off, right? Turn the air conditioning off in here. Remember the old building? We went in there uh, at our first Christmas. It was like 39 degrees in there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we stay. We don't know no better. We don't know when to quit. We don't know when we're whipped, right? (laughs) Genesis 27, verse 1. It came to pass when Isaac was old, his eyes were dim so that he could not see. He called Esau, his older son, and said unto him, My son. And he said, Here am I. Yeah, Pop, I'm here. And he said, Behold now, I'm old. Yeah, I think I can see that, Dad. And I don't know when I'm going to die. Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy, thy weapons, thy quiver, and thy bow, and go out to the field and take me some venison, and make me some savory meat, the kind I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, and that my soul may bless thee before I die. And Rebekah heard when Isaac spoke to Esau his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. And Rebekah spake unto Jacob her son, saying, Behold, I heard your father speak unto Esau your brother, saying, Bring me venison, and make me savory meat that I may eat, and bless thee before, uh, bless thee before the Lord before my death. Now the, This is the mom speaking now. She tells the younger son, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to all that I command thee. Go to the flock. Don't go hunting, but go out here to the, to the back 40 and get one of the lambs. Right? Two kids of the goats, and I'll make something delicious for the old man here, you see. And together we're going to hoodwink him. Now let me ask you something. Do you think that this is the first time that they've ever ever had a situation like this in that household? No. I better cut to the chase here before I run myself out of time. Sibling rivalries are nearly 100%, I think, caused by poor parenting. Boy, it's quiet in here. Can I get an amen, a holy grunt, anything there? It's totally unnecessary. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to tell you that you raise every child exactly the same. If this one spills the milk, you spank them all. I'm not saying that. You do have to raise different children differently, though, because they have different personalities. They respond differently to reward and punishment. I'm not going to give you a bunch of cookie-cutter rules on reward and punishment. You need God to raise godly children. You need the wisdom of God to know when to spank. I said spank. How to spank. When to reward. You know, sometimes you, the, the worst thing you can do for a child is reward them excessively. <laughs> but in this family, Rebe- uh, Isaac and Rebecca, they had favorites. And that created these dreadful rivalries that changed the destiny of nations. If you keep reading the story, I mean, it's, um, you know, you know the story how uh, dad sent Esau out to go hunt deer and bring some back to me. When you get back, I'm going to speak a blessing over you. While he was gone, Jacob put on some of Esau's clothes and put goat skins on his arms because Esau was a hairy dude and Jacob, his twin brother, wasn't. So he went in there. The old man was so old, he was blind, he couldn't see. But he could smell. He smelled his clothing and say, your voice sounds like your brother, uh, but you, it smells like Esau when he went in there, right? When Jacob went in with the, uh, the goat stew or whatever he made, whatever mom made for him. And what happened is he usurped the blessing. 
Later, when, uh, uh, when uh, Esau came in, he says, uh, here's the venison I brought you, Dad. And, and the old man said, wait a minute, wait a minute, somebody was just here. And Esau knew it was his brother. And what had happened is when Isaac spoke the blessing over the younger brother, it stuck. And Esau said, don't you have anything left for me? He only had the leavens for the, for the older brother now, who should have had the first position as, as the firstborn in that culture. I think you can, when it comes to the, the dividing of inheritance, that you're going to need God to help you with that. Because, listen, families have been torn apart by these things. And it's not necessary. On the other hand, I've seen families come together. And the way that you're raised by your, by your parents has everything to do with can you work with your brother and with your sister? If we are, if our parents have engendered a sibling rivalry, when they're gone and you're my age, you're going to be fighting like cats and dogs. You got to understand the devil. The devil's been doing this for a long time, and I'm 57 years old. I know I probably look like I'm about half that, right? But when your kids are my age. If they're little today, the things that you said and did in the household are going to bear fruit when they're my age. If you raise them to love and respect and honor one another and not talk about each other behind one another's back. See, see what was happening here is Rebecca chooses sides and has a secret conversation with the younger son. That's like cutting the older brother's throat. Where do you think Jacob got all his, if you read about Jacob, he, the word Jacob means um, usurper. Because in the birth canal, when they were coming out, the older brother uh, uh, was coming out and Jacob took a hold of his heel on the way coming out the birth canal. He wanted to climb over him and become the dominant one. And his mother played into those character traits those characteristics, and accentuated them. Boy, you're going to have to have the wisdom of God. Our, our job as parents is not to make these radical changes in our children's personality and behavior. Our job as parents is to nudge them lovingly, consistently on the pathway that they were born into. That God sovereignly ordained for them from the foundation of the world. You're going to have to know the heart and the mind of God for this child in order to cooperate with God's plan for that child. That's good Bible teaching right there. Einstein would have been a lousy NBA player. Right? Right? I, my, my brother met Joe Montana one time. He says he, he, he's kind of dumb. <laughs> Has a dumb laugh. <laughs> he's never go, he never could have come up with the, the, uh, the theory of relativity. I, my, my, Joe Montana could never do that. You have to recognize the talents and the gifts that are in your children and help them to stay on that path. Not say, well, you're going to, you know, what would, what would it be like if Einstein's parents... Gave him a basketball, made him dribble that thing 12 hours a day. You're going to be a basketball player, bless God. Shut up, you're going to be a basketball player. <laughs> a lot of wasted energy. And here's, here's, here's the bottom line. Here's the payday if we're heavy-handed with our children. If we're too heavy-handed with our children, here's the payday. Are you listening to me? I love you. I mean, I, I, listen, I love you. I want to help you. If we're too heavy-handed with our children... There's going to be a broken relationship between the parent and the child. And they're going to grow up and struggle with relationship difficulties their whole life. I could get a lot more specific. But people that struggle with gender identity. I'm just telling you this as a pastor. You can agree, disagree, that's your business. This is my... 
findings after many decades of watching people. People that struggle with things like sexuality, gender identity, promiscuity, things like that, have a, almost universally a broken relationship with a parent or parents. People that, you know, want to be with members of the same sex, sometimes they're trying to punish a parent. Well, that's enough of that, but we better get off of that and get back here in the Bible here to help people. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to give you some guiding principles from my 72 pages of notes here I have today. The guiding principles of raising godly children. Number one, we need to create a culture of grace in the home. You might want to write that down, make that, you know, right? Put a bumper sticker on your car or something to help you remember that. Say, create a culture of grace. What's grace? What is, what, yeah, unmerited favor, what, is, what does God's grace do for me? Well, he put my punishment on Jesus. I mean, I, I, I suffer no punishment. God is not punishing people today. I know people that, listen, this is not the day of God's judgment. This is the day of God's grace. I know people that should know better say things like, well, you know, I just can't seem to fix my dodge. The hand of God must be against me. I had a guy tell me that. He's been going to church his whole life. He's my age. And he thinks God is against him. He can't fix the wires on his truck. No, son, that's, that's not God doing that to you. Why would he think something like that? Maybe his parents created a culture of law in the home. We as parents, you know, i got to address the men. I've gotten in a little trouble with, for this from time to time by being a little too firm with the men. But if you read your Bible, I've got pages of notes on it here today. If you read your Bible, gentlemen, God puts the primary responsibility for these things on the man. The Bible says that the man is called to train his children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That means the entire training and education of that child is the responsibility of the man. And you can't do it without that woman, by the way. God made this this situation where we need each other. Now, God bless the single parents. Not coming against you at all. I've been through it. It's hard, especially when somebody's pulling the other way. And you're trying to raise a godly child. And your, your spouse should be supporting you and doing their part. But they're pulling the other way. That's, that's hard. I know what I'm talking about. And, but God's grace is on you. You do your part. The Word of God says, train up a child in the way that he or she should go. When they're old, it's going to work, man. It's, th- those words will never leave them. Raise them with the Bible. Those Those words will never leave them. They'll be in their life forever. Plant those seeds lovingly, tenderly, consistently. And then live it. you got to live what you're teaching them. Friend, let me help you. If I'm not living what I'm teaching my children, I'm creating a manipulative, two-faced hypocrite. Because that's all I am. Boy, it's somber in this place, isn't it? Amen. Listen, I'm praying about this this morning. I'm like, Lord, not everybody wants to hear this. Oh, oh well. Create a culture of grace in your home. Yeah, but I can't make my kids do stuff. God can't make you do stuff either. Can all God's people say amen? Amen. How do you think? Smile, preacher. This is good for God's people. How do you think God feels with us? We won't wiggle right. We won't do what we're supposed to do. Does he smite us with the botch of Egypt? What does he do? What does he do? What does he do? 
He, he overlooks it. He overlooks it. He just stands right there where you left him saying, well, I mean, I... Right there where we left him. He's right there where we left him. And I think that's what you got to do as a parent. You raise them right, and they, they're going to come to a certain age where they want to start making some of their own decisions. You're going to be right there for them when they want to come home. And they're coming home. Create a culture of grace. Um, if we create a culture of law, you do what I say. I'm bigger than you. And we're controlling children with anger. They're going to grow up to be angry people. Remember, we're working with attitudes. You need God for this. We need, we need to address the attitude of a child. We need to pick up on attitudes. Here, I, got, I do got a couple of... I've got a couple of do's and don'ts here for you if you want them. you got to pick your fights with little kids when you're raising kids. You cannot correct every single thing they're doing, amen. You're going to wear yourself out. And they're going to resent you for it. And I don't want that. Amen. If you call and they don't come, that's a problem. If you say... Come in for supper, and they, they won't put that thing down. You call them two, three, four times. I'm getting mad. And they're ignoring you. You created that. These kids just won't do what I say. I wouldn't either. You don't mean anything you say. Oof. <laughs> this is not easy what I'm doing here today, y'all. Your kids should do what you say. If you're creating a culture of legalism, you're going to drive them away from God. Because they, they you're the image of God to them in many ways. And if you create a, a culture of legalism in the home, they get an image of God as a legalistic, overbearing, disciplinarian monster. And they'll run from him. But if you can create a culture of grace, listen, you know what's going to happen? Is your child is going to begin to judge himself. He's going to say, you know what, that, that just don't agree with how I was raised. We have to create a sense of honor in our children, not a sense of, dog, got it, you're going to obey me. That don't work. Man, if I could just share some one simple idea, brother, that don't work. We have to find a way with the love of God to, to plant seeds of honor in them so that it bears fruit later in life. That's just really simple stuff, man. It's, not so, it's simple to say, it's not simple to do, because you've got to have God every day. You might have to get out of bed one hour early and pray that God helps you not to be a jerk <laughs> to your kids. That's, that's what I've I got to do. <laughs> Amen? I have to pray and say, God, help me to be nice you, you, you know, to my church. Help me to be good to my wife. Because we got flesh. And our flesh is selfish. Mine just like you. I want what I want because I want it. And that's what I want. What? <laughs> Say flesh. <laughs> it's, it's, ugly. it's ugly. It's ugly. We got to have God, friend. And we got to learn to walk in the spirit. We have to learn to raise children by faith. We have to learn to walk in love. Some of you are thinking, well, I ain't got no kids. <laughs> you, you just might. <laughs> we should be using the law as a last resort, not a steady diet. Huh? I mean, if your kids, here, here's, here's a simple situation. You call the child for supper. They don't get up out of that chair. You got to do something now. You got to train the child before you yell the second time. 
You need to get an affirmative response out of them. Yes, mother, I'm coming. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Michael was really good at this, man. <laughs> I'd say, Michael. He'd say, what? <laughs> I'd say, Michael. He'd say, what? <laughs> He'd take a couple of steps and start walking to me. What? About that time, I stopped calling him. Then he'd come to me and say, what? 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 <laughs> he figures he's fulfilling the requirements of the law, but my grace is running thin. <laughs> he thinks, well, I'm moving in the right direction here. <laughs> Am I telling the truth? Man, you've got to know the difference between your, the way your kids are made. They're not, they're not all the same. I'm looking at the siblings in this room, and you're just, you came from the same mom and dad, you got the same DNA, and you couldn't be more different. God is amazing. That's God. God did that. He made you different. He made you unique. And we as parents got to recognize the uniqueness of every child and cherish it and guide that child lovingly and honorably on the pathway that God has destined for them from the foundation of the world. That is our responsibility. Not to make you do what I want you to do. That's selfishness. We should not be motivated by selfishness in raising kids. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. We as children, excuse me, we as parents should be, have a, 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 a we're going to build honor and loyalty in that child by having a sacrificial love for that child. Not a selfish love. If we're, if we're, our, our system of reward and punishment is based on selfishness, we're creating selfish little monsters. Right. Amen? Amen? We got to believe that God is dealing with my children about life and ministry. Nice. He is. God is dealing with little kids. Come on now. Little kids, you know, we have our children's ministry. We believe in what we're doing in the children's ministry. We believe in what Michelle and, her, and, and, and Leah and, and the people that help them are doing. in the. This is so important. I want those kids, I want your kids, when they get big, to not flake out on church. When your kids are big, I want them to come to church. We got to create a culture of grace in the house of God. Not a culture of, you're going to do what I tell you to do. You know, and we've seen this. Where, you know, they get to be a certain age. I mean, when they're in little kids' church, kids' church this big, everything, everything's cool. We're going to paint. We're going to feed you. We're going to give you a snack and a nap. And everything's cool. We love you. Everybody sing a song. Everybody take a nap. Everything go out and play in the playground. They get to be about yay. They become teenagers. And it's, what kind of music are you listening to? How come you're wearing them clothes? Who are you hanging out with? What? And then we wonder why there's no 21-year-olds in the modern church. They're like, well, screw you. Sorry. <laughs> it's just family here, right? I'm just saying what they're saying. I ain't doing that. You people, you people are just religious. My people out there in the streets are real to me. They accept me for who I am. Now, I'm not saying we leave everybody just the way they are, but we, we got to create a culture of grace where they want to change. They want to serve God, not because I'm making you do it. Right. Amen. That's good. Man, if you can get your kids where they want to do good, they're going to disappoint themselves when they fail as little kids. Not because they're afraid of punishment. If the only reason they do right is because they're afraid of punishment, we're creating a legalistic culture and mindset in that child, and they're going to rebel. And, that, and now in today's culture, man, when they, they, they rebel, I mean, they go out there in the tall weeds of rebellion, and it's ugly out there, man. It's ugly out there. I don't have to tell you. We got to give our kids, we have to use reward and punishment wisely. I've touched on that briefly. But man, we got to use reward and punishment wisely.
Should I meddle in people's business a little bit here? Here's some of the kids here. Let's see. Right? Who do we got here? Freeze or somebody, right? <clears throat> we have to be careful. Oh, I love you, Lord Jesus. I love you, Lord. You want me to talk about that, Lord? I'll talk about electronic devices and junk food next week. We've got to be careful with these things, friends. We've got to be careful with these things. All right, let's move to the next point. Giving kids a big picture vision of life. Say that with me. Say, giving kids a big picture vision of life. They've got to get the big picture. And what's the big picture? It ain't all about <laughs> you want to raise a miserable child grow up to be a miserable self-centered spoiled rotten lazy brat at my age and I know some of them that's my age that's a spoiled rotten lazy miserable self-centered lonely old man you raise a child to make them think it's all about you it's not all about you you want to raise a child that's going to be healthy, happy, fulfilled, with a sense of purpose, a sense of destiny. You've got, you got to give them a big picture vision of life. You've you got to train them in kingdom principles. Serving God. Staying connected to the local church. Staying connected to your family. That's what's important. And, and if you are, they'll be. If I ain't, they won't. Praise the Lord. And I know it requires effort. To make it through the life-threatening conditions we're facing on the streets of North Glen, Colorado today. How many feet of snow did y'all sled through today to get here? I'm so proud of you. It takes effort to stay connected to church. Because the merry-go-round of life is going to try to sling you off. But remember, if you're not connected, they won't be. Amen. Amen. Give those kids a big picture vision of life. Serving God. Staying connected. Can you handle a couple more points here a little bit? Education. I want you to put Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 up there, please. If you could, please. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. Education. The Word of God says in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, I think it's verse uh, 24, that fathers are responsible for the entire education and training of children there's one of these candidates now says we ought to leave kids in elementary school till 6 p.m every day and some of them already are they go from school to daycare and you, you and i understand you, know, you got to pay bills you're gonna have to have god show you how to live we're talking about how to live life well i just don't have the money if you keep coming to this church, your financial situation is going to get better. I can tell you that. That's why I'm here, and it's working for me. Is it working for anybody else? I know people in this room that since they got connected and stayed connected, their financial situation has turned around from really bad to getting better. And it's not because I'm some genius. I just found a few simple principles. And if you'll just do what the Word of God says... It'll, it'll work for you, I'm telling you. And you won't have to say, well, I can't raise my kids. I have to let the system raise my kids because I'm broke. That's the devil's plan, to rob your children. And no condemnation. Come on, I'm not condemning nobody. But let, let's set a goal and say, you know what? By this time next year, something's going to be different. Write it down. Be specific. Put a number on it. Say, by this time next year, Michael uh, shared the prayer petition last week. Get, there's copies of it back there. You and your husbands and wives, write it down. Say, by this time next year, X, Y, Z is going to be different. And this is how it's going to be measurable. 
something measurable that you could check up on yourself and say, you know what, God answered that prayer. Date it. Sign it. I'm telling you, it works. These words which I command you today will be in your heart. Man, you have to get the word of God in your heart. Not just in your head, but in your heart to where it flows in every situation of life. You're like a sponge, man. You're soaking up the word of God. And when the devil puts a squeeze on you, the word comes out. Huh? Huh? It's real simple. These words which I command you shall be in your heart and you're going to teach them diligently. What's, what's diligently mean? That means how Tim Tebow trains, right? Right? You've got to mean business. Teaching your kids the word of God. I'm not talking about just once every at Christmas and Easter. Come on. The devil's working on them. How many hours a day are they looking at that iPad? And, and some of it's wholesome stuff they're looking at, but it's capturing their attention. And when you try to get their attention, they're like, what? 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 Uh, oh, yeah. Uh. We have to teach our ch- children diligently. That means turn that off. It's time to turn it off. Hmm? Turn it upside down and, and put it out of arm's reach. What was that one movie, Clifford, when he took the dinosaur? <laughs> Remember that? He's trying to... Clifford, went back. Uh, they'll be reaching for that thing. No. You're going to... This is... Come on. Can, will you do this? Will you teach your children the Word of God? I can, I'm only supplementary. The things we do here are only supplementary. You have to mean business five, six, seven days a week to make this happen, friend. I, I had an Amway salesman, man. They were after me a few years ago. They were after me. And I'm like, I didn't say no, so that, they took that as yes, right? And they were hounding me, taking me out to lunch. And they start drawing circles on napkins, you know, at Denny's, you know. Here's you, and here's your system, and here's the plan. And, and they kept saying this one thing. They kept saying over and over and over and over and over. Four or five nights a week, 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 four or five nights a week. You're going to do this four or five nights a week. If you do this system four or five nights a week, you will be rich. You will build your system. This multi-level marketing thing really does work if you can do it four or five nights a week. Anything will. If you lift weights four or five nights a week, you're going to be something else. If you read your Bible four or five nights a week, you're going to be something else. If you train your children, I mean just five minutes, ten minutes, turn everything off. We're going to show God some respect. We're going to pray what happened at school today four or five nights a week. You will see results, friend, one year from today. If you will adopt these simple principles one year from today, you will see a change in your child. You're going to see a change in you. You know, this is where God taught me how to teach the Bible, is just teaching my children the Bible. I, I sense the power of God teaching my kids the Bible. I would just read them Bible stories, and I could feel the power of God. <laughs> you will, too. You're anointed to do this. You can teach your children the Bible. You'll feel the power of God as you do. And you got to do it. You got to do it. You got to do it. Lives are hanging in the balance. You should teach them diligently unto your children. You'll talk of them when you're sitting in the house, when you're driving in the car at bedtime, and when you get up in the morning. Brother, if you just do that verse right there, your life will change. Your children's lives will change. What's the next verse say? Oh, that, that was my verse, huh? All right. I'm almost done. You everybody okay? Almost done. Say, almost done, Pastor. This education that you're going to uh, uh, teach your children, right? You're going to teach them the Bible. Right? You're going to teach them a biblical worldview. So when they see stuff in the culture... Where the Supreme Court says that the Constitution says that the Founding Fathers bled and died so that two men can get married, you're going to know, you know, that's, not, that's against the Bible. I'm not, not saying I don't hate nobody, I'm not against nobody, but that's, that's totally against the Bible. Well, it, it, yeah, but that's an old book. Brother, it's, it's up to the minute. It's up to the minute. 
And if you teach your kids a biblical worldview, when they hear this nonsense in school or in the media or on social media, and you got you got to get them ready for this. You don't be naive. You have to teach your children about the devil just like you have to teach your children about God. Amen. Right? I mean, if I just throw a kid in, the, in a boxing ring with no training against a Golden Gloves champion, what's going to happen? He's going to get beat up. You have to train your children about the devil and how to deal with evil spirits and how to deal with this satanic worldview that permeates every part of our society. You have to teach your children diligently how to deal with that. Say amen, please. I'm almost done. Kingdom service. This is part of the education that you are responsible for for, uh, sharing with your children. Kingdom service. And and here it is. Here it is. I mean, I love you with all my heart. But if you don't serve God, why would your kids serve God? If I'm a Christmas and Easter Christian, what do you think my kids are going to be? Part of this education is the laws of prosperity. I'm telling you, the laws of prosperity are totally counter to anything that they're teaching in higher education. Totally counter. They, they, they want us to believe, they want the next generation to believe the only way to succeed is to have get a half million dollars in debt to the government to get an education. Right? then you can succeed. Nothing against education, but this is the real education here. That if you do without this, I don't care how much book education you have. Common sense living. We have to teach our children about common sense living. Giving your child a family-sized bag of Doritos and letting them sit on the couch for eight hours a day with an iPad is not teaching your child common sense living. A child is going to have health issues, mental issues, uh, uh, learning disorders, and you create. We created it. Well, it's quiet in here. I can hear the air conditioning coming through the vents and everything. We have to teach some common sense living about health and wellness and money management and sex and life and how to live life. We're responsible. Well, I thought everything has to be all spiritual. No, you've got to teach your child how to pick up their own clothes and do their own laundry right, right. and how to sweep the floor. Well, I can't make them do it. I, I, made my, I raised two daughters. I did not have this. When, when my wife and I separated in 1988, there was no agreement. It was, she was going this way, I was going that way. When I had those kids... I had them up, I, had, I, I was not a great hairstylist, I'll, I'll grant you that. But I had them dressed and fed and in church on time every Sunday. So help me Jesus, if I could do it in a cabin, 40, smile pastor, this is good. 45 minutes, one way to church, You'd be on time. If I could do it by myself. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house. If I could do it, you could do it. You, if I, you got to mean business. Fearlessly loving our children through difficult times. Every parent is going to face difficult times raising kids. Things don't turn out the way you wish. Things don't look the way you, you want them to look. You're thinking, man, is this the way it's going to be? Well, I don't know, but I'll tell you one thing for sure. You can love that child through difficult times. And you must. Don't give up. We all all face challenges in life. Come on. That child is facing a challenge. They need your support and love, not condemnation. Not rejection. Not saying, well, you, you're, you're dumber than the rest of them. Build up that child. That's what he's talking about. Train up a child in the way that they should go. Not train down a child. Train up a child. Build up a child. I'll tell you, that's one thing. Oh, my God. If I talk about my dad. 
My dad made me believe I could do anything. My dad made me believe I could do anything. And it's working today. And so can you. Now, if you're older and you're thinking, eh, Brian, my kids are your age. <laughs> Take these principles. Take these principles and use them. And regardless of how old they are, regardless, regardless of how, how it looks, love your children through difficult times. Amen. You're going to come through it. That's faith. That's right. Are you, is this a faith church? Right. Are we faith people? Yes. Well, I thought, well, yeah, but you don't know the situation. Stop whining about the situation. Get your eyes off the situation and remember what the Word of God says about raising your children. Did you put the Word of God in those kids when they are little? Well, they won't listen to me no more. Then apparently you tried, right? There's enough Word. Brother, it don't take much. Last week at the church we visited, and I'm almost done. You can stand up. That way I'll quit. Go ahead, stand up. Last week at the church we were at, we taught on the woman with the issue of blood. She received a miracle. She had a, for 12 years, she had some kind of female problems. She was bleeding. She went to every doctor in the area. She was nothing better, but rather grew worse. She spent everything she had on doctors, and it took 12 years. She must have been one rich lady. If it takes you 12 minutes to have them doctors empty your bank accounts, that's millions. She heard of Jesus. That's all the Bible says. When she heard of Jesus, that's all the words she heard. And that word was enough to get her healed. So you may be thinking, well, I didn't do a good job raising my kids. You did enough. There's enough word in your child to bring them home. When I was a kid... In the church of God in Christ, I was so little my feet wouldn't touch the floor sitting in the pew. I heard uh, Elder Demings say, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I heard him say that. And those words rung in my ears my whole life. You've got to have confidence that God knows what he's doing. That's right. You know, a lot of times we want to use faith on people. I'm believing that you're going to be in church. Stop that. Yeah. <laughs> use love on people. Right. If, you've, if you've never heard about creating a culture of grace, start now. Just start loving them right now. It's going to have a rubber band effect, and they're going to say, well, I thought you were kind of a jerk, but you're really not too mean after all. <laughs> What happened? What, what, you, you changed. Yeah, I might have changed a little bit. I, maybe I was a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> it's a journey, right? <laughs> right? Father, in Jesus' name, I bless you, Lord. I bless you. I bless your people.